Hey everyone, welcome to Mass Monsters episode 8. We're with Coach Brett today, as always. <laughs> Co-host. Co yeah. We're going to be talking about sprinting and jumping. And uh, today's our first podcast with our new camera. Yeah, it's sick. Moving up in the world. Where'd you, you get this at Guitar Center? No, I got it. I got the camera at Best Buy. I got the microphones at Guitar Center. Yeah, and you met one of our clients at Guitar Center too. That's crazy. Oh yeah, Tayshawn. <laughs> <laughs> he looked just like him. he was returning his uh, drums. Oh yeah, the the boy band broke up. That was upsetting. You hate to see that. Yeah. So yeah, this episode, I kind of want to just like go through that timeline. Like if we had a perfect client, and like athlete specific, from middle school, like. 7th, 8th grade, how old are they, like 12, 13? Yeah. Around that, around that time frame. And to see what you would do from 13 to 23, pretty much. How much I would have liked to train, knowing what I know now. And if I can go back to 13-year-old me, and just to lay out more of a foundation. But, like, you can start. Like, how would you approach sprinting and jumping, of just trying to throw it into a program for a kid who really never worked out before? Yeah. So I think the a big thing for me is I try to incorporate a lot of like the games and stuff and like the, a lot of the reactive stuff. Um, I kind of got that from you just by m not making it so, so like, all right, we're going to sprint X amount of sprints at X amount of distance with X amount of time period in between at X amount of effort or whatever. It's like, it gets very complicated for them, and it doesn't really matter that much at the end of the day, and especially, too, because most of those kids are, like, they're training, like, one or two days a week, so they're not really in, like, a five- or six-day-a-week lifting program, so you don't really have to take fatigue into account as much, especially because they're kids. Um, so I like to do a lot of, like, reactive stuff where, like, you have the, the partner races where, like, one person's facing each other, then the front person will turn and run and then the back person will run and chase after them and try to tap them on the hip, do a lot of like tennis ball where they're facing me, throw the tennis ball, they turn around, run. Um, and then a lot of that same stuff with like the change of direction, like dropping the tennis ball and having them go right when I drop it or like right when it hits the ground and try to catch it before it bounces on the ground again, uh, just to make it like fun for them and, and have that, that sense of competition and stuff. Because I think that, my first couple months at Upward, I was like very just reliant on the lasers and just like running a time and then telling them what their time was. And then that was it. But then I kind of realized like, you know, you could have them do that baseline like their first week and then have them do like four weeks of just like reactive drills with their training partner or with me or with the tennis ball or whatever and just have them have fun with it and just work on, you know, simple goblet squats and split squat isos and then test it again like four to six weeks later and they make a decent amount of improvement a lot of the time yeah it's funny that you said you got that from me because i got it from jeremy frisk from uh, achieve performance i got um he's up in mass and i remember taking the day to go just visit him and to see i i got two chances to go just talk to him really because the one time i went there was no sessions we kind of just stopped in we didn't even let him know we were coming and funny. he was just he was just chilling there and we talked to him for about two hours and we just picked his brain about everything oh that's sick and it was like a full it was almost if it was recorded it was going to be like a podcast pretty much because just had a ton of questions me and my buddy nithrov i wonder how nithrov's doing he's a beast he's in india 
But um, he was just talking about the power of play and how he's all youth. So it's all long-term athletic development for him mm-hmm. and the power of play. And he said he used to coach for Holy Cross and do a, a couple other schools in the collegiate sector. But his main thing that he said that he was missing was all his athletes didn't really know how to move mm. or they just weren't athletic. It's like, yeah, they can squat bench deadlift. They can run in a straight line. But when it came to game time, like on the field, they just didn't have the movement capacity to do any of the movements that actually required them to be successful in their sport. So he went out of the college sector and just focused on the long-term athletic development approach of just the youth to middle school athletes where they would just play the game pickle, like the pickle game. I don't know if you ever played that. There's the ball back and forth. You're just running, trying not to get pegged by it. Tag, uh, handball was a huge one that I implemented a ton at Upward on Saturdays. Those were like speed. I, we call it speed and agility. We ran a couple fly tens to warm up, and then we went and played handball for 30 minutes. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool because we had a huge spread of different types of athletes that we saw. So one of the kids being in seventh grade or eighth grade, who's trying to compete with a junior in college. So it was just that big spread. But you saw after the summer that the seventh grader actually was competing. Like first couple of weeks, he had like it was clear that he was a weak link, obviously, because he's going up against grown men. But the neural development that he had was much faster than if I just made him do five ten fives and three cone mm-hmm. drills and a skips and a switches and all that stuff because that's just boring too especially to a kid like that so making sure it's an an engagement that keeps them stimulated and keeps them wanting to do it because if you ever try to do 30 minutes of perfecting a wall drill it's you're not going to be able to like it's just so boring so 30 minutes of handball though it's super fun it's competitive it is conditioning because and it's sport specific conditioning because he played football because you can walk around, you can take breaks, or you can push the tempo and work. So the work to rest ratios were pretty similar. And I just remember Jeremy Frisk, the first thing that the last thing he told me when I was leaving after the second day was like, remember, number one rule of strength conditioning is that there are no rules. Mm. Like there's no rules. Like you people say all the time that you have to follow a certain thing. But I remember in the last podcast I was talking about, just see the sport, like watch the sport and see what happens. That kind of shifted my whole mindset of like yeah there are no rules like you can really do whatever you want as long as you have a basic uh background of knowing like what it is that is actually going to help them succeed yeah the first person that taught me that was was kevin foster when i was talking to him about like like the peak in season and he's like what what's the point of a peak if you like don't have the right technique in your jab throw you know what i mean it's like if you don't have the right technique or the right mobility and like uh, terms of that it's like then your peak doesn't matter it's like there's no rules like no one says that you have to run a hypertrophy phase into a strength phase into a power phase like and then peak at the last meet of the year it's like it doesn't really matter unless you can unless you have like that technical foundation or that physical foundation of development you know mm-hmm. yeah and Jeremy was also one that's a huge advocate for the kids for crawling and for hanging on bars and climbing. And another big thing is that I noticed too is that kids don't have good spatial awareness. Like I don't know if you ever picked up on this, but yeah, you asked I, I I had a moment yesterday in my um 
semi-private for the youth kid, the middle schoolers. Mm-hmm. They're all like sixth to eighth grade when we were doing relay races with the sleds. And I like specific, they each had their own sled in the, um, at the six lanes that we have. Yeah, we had yeah, six every other lane. The ten lanes. Okay. Yeah, every other lane was a sled, and then I left the lane open, and then I was like, "All right, everybody, we're gonna go down. We're gonna stop at the ten yard line. Everybody's gonna go to their right. You're gonna walk, run around the sled, and then push it backwards." I was like, "Don't go to the left because you will hit the person next to you. Do not go and try to spin your sled around because you will also hit the person next to you." I like made it like a two minute thing where I like explained how to do it before we did the relay race. First, first one, everyone goes <laughs> yeah, yeah, every time. Every, like my, my like aha moment with that is when Jeremy was explaining it to me, like you ever have like an eight year old, like where we could be right here and they have a ball. It's like, toss me the ball. Oh, and they just throw it as and hard they as throw they it can. as hard as possible. Like I remember it cause that's how I started in the industry was with all those types of kids. And I never made that connection. It was just, I thought the kids were just being a dick. It was like throwing it like as hard as they possibly can, three feet away from me. I was like, dude, why are you being a little, like, (laughs) like I I hate you. I was like, it makes, it makes sense because they just don't have that spatial awareness or that feel because depth perception. Yeah. They, they think that you're further away. So they just throw it (laughs) as hard as they can. And you're like three, because we know now, like you're here so I can just lightly toss it to you. Yeah. Yeah. But for them at that, at that young age, they just don't have that. So that's where the games come into play because with handball, the way I did it is we didn't have a net to score in. Mm-hmm. I literally just set up a foam roller. They were like 20 yards apart and you would have to throw the ball in order to hit the foam roller. So you needed to have some sort of accuracy and precision with it. And you would have to, you can either bounce it, you can roll it, jump and throw it because there was a three-step rule. And it just you could see over time that their strategy started to change. They it wasn't always try to throw it as hard as you possibly can. Like there's other ways to uh, get the outcome that you want. And I think that just all comes from play and then figuring stuff out. And there was a cool quote by um, Lamar Jackson because someone asked him like, why are you so good at evading tackles? This was like when he was like really good. I don't know how he's doing this year, but how are you so good at evading tackles and making people miss? And he's like, my entire life I played tag. Like, I played tag my whole life growing up. He's also a genetic freak. That helps. But, yeah. like, avoiding another human being and, con- like, trying to make contact with you and you have to evade that is a completely different stimulus than, like, a 60-yard shuttle or, like, a 10-yard dash with lasers or whatever. Like, whatever S&C yeah. coolest drill that you can find, it's a completely different stimulus. Well, it's just even, like, you ever seen people in football, like, they'll do that juke move where, like, they, like, step back and like tuck their belly button in then like to like miss the miss the tackle or whatever or like in basketball like pull up short like let the defender Mm -hmm. fly by them and then they immediately go like right forward it's like you can't teach that in a five ten five it's extremely hard to teach that that is just something that has to come natural and the only way for a natural movement to occur in my opinion is through just play just playing like the pe basics and with I don't know where, like, how it is everywhere else in the country, but I know Connecticut, they eliminated recess for a lot of schools. So we have a population of people, like now, like America is obviously out of shape, mm-hmm. and kids have to sit in school from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. straight sitting in the classroom. They maybe have gym once a week, 
and now they eliminated recess so they don't go outside to experience that. So I, I know, especially with the kids that we have, that that needs to be a pretty big chunk of the training just to get them that exposure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I always see that too with like, like you were saying, like you have to have them like play a game to, to learn how to do that. And I think that is big, especially with females that I've been coaching in javelin. Like I have two girls now that throw javelin at Southern. I never coached girls before this year. And you could just tell that like the second you put a javelin in their hand, they, they immediately like turn their brain on and they start like overthinking it and start trying to like throw it like a javelin and stuff and it's like i just need to take the javelin out of their hand give them a ball and like go throw and it's like a lot of times too especially if these girls stumble into javelin like later on in life they um they didn't grow up with a softball background so it's like it's like learning like a whole foreign movement but it's like having a girl that grew up playing like softball or something and then having them throw jav i'm sure is like completely different because they're they have that that natural feel for it and they don't think about it so much you know you ever see a football player try to do a med ball shot put day one yeah it's rough it's awful it looks so bad they like like, they just throw there's no kinetic sequence at all it's just all just chest barely any legs and they just throw their body into the wall because that's all they know how to do but then you watch a baseball player or a softball player use a use a med ball uh, it just looks way cleaner. Yeah, it's so clean. Especially, too, like, you'll see, you could tell who sometimes is, like, a pitcher versus, like, a like a position player. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of position players will do it almost like they are, like, swinging. And then a lot of pitchers will do it like they're throwing. You know, you can yeah. tell there's, like, a different, like, there's a different flow to it, you know. Yeah. I mean, I love all the med ball drills, especially for still the middle school athletes, too. Because if you just track distance, if you just have them throw it. For yeah. a certain amount of time, amount of time, like a six or a ten pound ball, like they're still having to generate a tons amount of power in order to do that. So, in my opinion, if you have a bigger group of kids, I think that's and you can make it competitive. Like, see who can throw it the farthest and chase it, run it back, and make a little relay race out of it. Yeah, like that, I think is going to be more beneficial than teaching an eight year old or ten year old like yeah. how to power clean. That's a that's been a big a big shift in my training focus too with my jab throws again is like having them do med balls for distance and for speed rather than just like using med balls for technique and that's it um because it's like a really easy way to track maximal force output without giving like the stress on the elbow and the shoulder and the the back and hip and stuff you know it's much more it's much more like controlled on the body not as hard yeah Something I've noticed too, because we can start transitioning from like the middle school youth to the high school, is once I get a high school girl athlete that like maybe skipped like the middle, like the development play, whatever, but I, it's a clear, like I can pretty much almost guarantee if they did gymnastics or not as a mm-hmm. kid, because gymnastics is all spatial awareness, aerial awareness. They have great body control and core control. So the girls, that are just beasts like day one that can already they already know how to trap bar they can get a good hinge they can do a good amount of chin-ups push-ups like everything that you're like oh, my job's easy now. <laughs> like my job's yeah. easy today you just got to follow the program i don't got to do anything yeah like i can almost guarantee that they did some type of either dance or uh, gymnastics when they were younger and i just remember seeing that happen at my other uh job 
it was just one softball girl that I had. Like the first couple months, it was just like what like she was at like average. It wasn't anything crazy. And then just one day, she like sweat like it just was crazy. Like every PR and everything, and then she just became a way better athlete. And she was a gymnastics athlete when she was younger, and it just she picked it up just a lot quicker. Yeah, that's definitely a big thing that I'm going to have my kids do one day is gymnastics and wrestling until mm-hmm. they're like 10. Yeah. I mean, like maybe I'll have them play like baseball or something just because like baseball, you need the hand-eye coordination and stuff. But like in terms of like basketball and football, like I think that if my kids are good enough athletes, if they start those when they're like 10, they'll probably be able to pick them up from just playing yeah. in the backyard with their friends. I didn't play football until I was 10. And I was pretty good. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I know kids that played football their first year, freshman in high school, and, like, they started sophomore, or they started varsity sophomore year, just because, like, everyone kind of plays football. And, like, if you're a good athlete and you have a good strength and speed and you're not soft, like, you could play football if you yeah. have a good foundation, you know? This is a little off topic, but it's just something that really is just a huge pet peeve of mine is when, like, the football dads come in and have, like, their eight-year-old son like my son's elite. Like he's gonna be NFL superstar. Like he, all he cares about is football. Like he's gonna be the next big thing. I'm like, dude, your kid's eight. As like he like he just started playing football. Like, like yeah. he probably doesn't even like it. Like who knows if he even likes it? Yeah, exactly. So that is a hard conversation to have. I mean, like, yeah, I understand that football is the main focus, or tennis, or anything that's like really big and like sports specialization at a young age. I'm not a huge fan of. Just because you're not giving the kid enough options to even figure out what they want to do. It's like, do you really want to play football or do you, are you playing football because your dad wants you to play football? Yeah. You know what I mean? So instead of, and it's a money, it's a freaking, oh my God, the money pit that you get in with some of these prospect camps yeah. and these recruiting tournaments. Recruiting services. And re- and like- yeah, recruiting. Like there should be, like baseball is a huge thing because they have like nine new prospects like shut up! Like, it's like that's that's stupid. Like a nine U prospect, no one, no college coach that I've ever talked to cares about how you were at nine. Yeah. Like no one cares. Yeah. Like, at matter. all, it does not matter. Yeah. Like, there's so many kids that like they throw gas like when they're 13 and they're playing little league because they're like whatever like you know like the seventh graders that played little league versus the seventh graders that were playing on the big field because their birthday was like three yeah. weeks apart or whatever. So you got like an extra year of development on the kids. On the other kids, it's like, yeah, of course you're gonna, you're gonna, um, like, you know, be throwing gas. Like, you got an extra year on me, you know, yeah. basically. So it's like, but then a lot of times those kids like stall out by the time they're in high school. Yeah, yeah. The the little league all stars when they are pitching forty five feet away that throw cheese, and then they go to the big field and they're throwing sixty. Like they're getting shelled now. Yeah, and it's that is like a confidence killer. And I always just frame stuff in the context of baseball because that's just what all i know is because i grew up in but i just remember like all the kids being nasty when we're like 10 11 12 and then we get to the big field and they just suck and then and that's just a huge confidence killer too because like again going back to like the daddy ball and like the dad's pushing them so hard and they're saying how great their kid is and then you go to the big field they're just not good anymore and then you have to go through the whole process and that's why I made the fall ball post because everyone thinks you just need to play more. Like that's clearly not the case. Yeah. Like you needed way more development and just to have more fun with it. Absolutely. Yeah. That was, a, that was an issue of mine for sure. Cause I was like 
sixth grade, played Little League, did really, really well. Seventh grade, bumped up to the diamond, and I played catcher. And it was like, I was not fast. So I was hitting, you know, hitting the ball into the outfield, but even like getting to, I remember hitting the ball to right one time, and I almost got thrown out at first. <laughs> and then like, I had, I there, was, I was, there was someone that got thrown out from center field at first base. Center field's bad. Mine, <laughs> mine, mine was like a blooper to right, the kid was playing in. So it was, it was close, but I mean, but for me too, like playing catcher, it was like, you know, it was like that first and third scenario, automatic yeah. steal every time yeah. on me, you know, I mean, we did it to the other team too, though, because it was just like, I mean, in that first and third situation, you got a 13 year old kid behind, behind the plate who can't reach second base. Like, like you're just taking a free base yeah, <laughs> every time. Free base every time. Yeah. And it just... Baseball is just a wild concept in America, especially in the Northeast, because it's just like the grind, militaristic thought process that goes into it, that the only way to be successful is if you hit 100 baseballs off the tee or like a couple buckets, you front toss, whatever. Yeah. You have to like pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to make it to college. But then you have the 16-year-olds in the Dominican Republic that literally dance. They dance a lot. They play stickball. They have fun with everyone around them. And they're just way better athletes when they come over to the states. Yeah, like there's no there's no 16 year olds in America getting drafted. Yeah, like very very rarely. But yeah. from the DR, it happens every year. Like you hear these crazy prospects. There's this one guy that he got interviewed. He was like, "When was the first time you touched 90?" And he goes, "I have no idea." Like the first time I got on the radar, gun, I hit 95. <laughs> and he's like 16. <laughs> I've always been at 90. Yeah, he's like, he's like, "When was the first time you hit 90?" He's like, "I don't know." <laughs> he's like, "Couldn't tell you." I hit 95 the first time I got a radar gun on me. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, now we got, we got radar guns on kids when they're like 12. So yeah, they it, obviously can, they can match their, you know, they, they track their progress so young. Yeah. But then it just becomes like the, like, I also think we're way too analytical when it comes to all that stuff too. It's like, yeah, everyone, you can know all the biomechanics. This is a way off topic, but it's like, yeah. but it's like, you know, like the biomechanics of, how your body should move and you know the right way to do everything and you know how to train, but you still throw 81 and you got the guys that know nothing about anything. They come in five minutes before the game starts, <laughs> Jersey, not button, wearing shorts with sandals and they come in, they just put their pants on. They got their seeds in and they just throw 95 after a couple warm up throws. Like how do you compete with that? It's like, it's yeah. just such a more loose culture that I think, that we need to shift into a little bit more, especially in like, like the S and C field and like football is always, I, I don't think football will ever change. I think football will always be like the Deion Sanders type of like, like the culture and like yeah. that type of mindset. But I think, yeah. I think football, you could get away with that a little bit more though, because like 75% of the positions are just like, <laughs> you know, you're just hitting each other for yeah. the most part, you know? Yeah, it but is But it's like, like baseball, you, you do, like, in order to, like, throw fast and hit far, like, you need to be relaxed and have the have the power in that relaxed state, you know? Because yeah. if you ever try to, like you said, you ever try to hit as hard as you can 100%, like, you're, you're going to stiffen up and be worse. Like, yeah. you try to throw super, super hard, like, using your arm, you're going to, like, not throw as hard. And you're gonna get hurt and like stuff like that. I think football, like you could kind of get away with it. Like certain positions, like kicker, quarterback, you kind of have to be like wide receiver. You have to be like cool, collected, swift. But like 
if you're on the line or like a linebacker or like a running back, like you could just be a dog and yeah, be fine. And you, you know? Yeah, that is that is the difference in the sport for sure. The baseball does have that more technical aspect of yeah. it, and then same with tennis and golf. Like you can't be having that like grind mindset in golf where you're like, I'm gonna crush this ball. Dude, yeah, <laughs> you're gonna like, shank. You're gonna shank it to the bro, woods every that's time. Like, that's like with us, bro. I play in like one golf tournament a year. It's like my my uncle sponsors it. And um, it's for uh, my cousin's foundation. And, like, he pulled up onto the – he, like, drives around in the golf cart the whole time and, like, just, like, watches people. He'll take celeb shots and stuff. And there was one hole that was, like, a competition for, like, who could hit it the furthest. And they, like, put the marker out there. And he starts, like, egging me on. And I'm, yep. like, getting all fired up. Like, shank freaking, it, right? Like, crush it as hard as I can and just goes, like, straight into the woods. And it's, like, <laughs> not even, like, far either. It's just, like, completely gets in my head. Because, yep. like – Every time I step up to do that, I'm like, oh, if I just do this one move the right way, but I bring all the energy and the power and like into it, it'll it'll go well. But it's it never works out yeah. as well as when I'm just smooth and relaxed and just yeah. let the body do the do hit the hit the ball. That's what like two things that helped me learn with that was just being like that relaxed power with sprinting. Yeah, you can't muscle up. If you muscle up a sprint, you're gonna be way too slow. And you're gonna pull your hands. And you're gonna pull one hundred percent. That's probably why I pulled it so many times in high school because I always thought I needed to like muscle my way forward. But no, there's way you need to be relaxed in order to sprint. And boxing, like boxing, especially the way that Chris is training me to box, it's more Cuban. It is Cuban style boxing, and Cuban boxing is taken over the Olympics and just how they move throughout. And it's it doesn't even look like they're trying until they throw the punch. Because they're just so fluid, fluid and relaxed, and it's just a snap motion. So I wish, like going back, if I could, in like high school, middle school, learning that type of skill of being relaxed and smooth versus just always trying to rely on my muscles to help me whatever it is that I wanted to do, like hit the ball or like throw, and even sprint. Because sprinting, I would always just try to force myself through, and that's when I would just get hurt, and I would just be slow. All right, so we kind of talked about middle school, a little bit of high school. When do you start incorporating um, like resistance type sprinting into person's uh, training regimen? So that is client dependent. I like when they already have a base of strength and their technique is pretty solid in the sprint that you can start adding the band resisted or the chain resisted sprinting because I have tried it before in the past with kids, like younger kids that their technique just goes all over the place because it's just they're trying to figure out how to solve that movement pattern. But I really like it with the college guys and the girls that we did in the summer. We did the band resisted sprints and like people trying to hold back like why it was like two fifty. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's hard. But as long as like you can play around with the resistance, as long as it doesn't hinder the um the technique like that much then that's when I would try to implement it. It's really just trial and error. Like you'd have to just see it first. I like the sled a lot for kids because you really can't mess it up as long as they go forward and you can load it up pretty heavy. Like we had 10 year old girls push 400 pound sleds, Jeez. which is pretty cool. But like she didn't get faster, but she's building that. <laughs> not yet. Cause it is hard. It is so hard for a youth kid to like make significant speed progress just because there's nothing going on. There's no like actual muscle hypertrophy yeah. or cns development there but does um with kids like right if they're growing a lot does that have anything to do with the oh fact yeah that they're not getting faster 
Yeah. Like, I have, like, Max, who I've had for, like, a year and a half, and he looks, like, way better than he did, like, a year and a half ago, but his times haven't really gotten any better because he was, like, nine, and now he's 11. But, like, I'm like, the kid's probably gained, like, 20 pounds yeah. and, and grown, like, six inches. So, like, what does that have to he's, do with? He's someone that I'm extremely excited to see what he looks like at 16 just because his technique is very solid in pretty much everything. Yeah. Like, his technique is really solid, and he just has... Like that, I mean, he's 11, so and everyone look really looks like that. I mean, yeah. it could be because he wears the muscle muscle shirts too. Yeah. But like I, when I look at him, I do see like a difference compared comparative to like other 11 and 10 year olds. That once he starts resistance training and he actually hits puberty and he gets that growth spurt, I think he's going to be one of the fastest kids that we've ever seen. Yeah. Well, the thing is too, is like, I always say those kids that are like, that have that skinny frame, but they're fast and strong. Those are the kids that are the best athletes because when they get into like that 17 to like 19 age range, they'll just pack on muscle because they're not like, they didn't start off fat like I did, you know? Yeah. They're like, they have the strength base. They have the, the um, speed base and then they just add weight and it's just muscle and then they keep the speed, you know what yeah. I mean? So those are like the kids that like, I'm like, you could be like a freak athlete. The kids that like me, that like you had to lose a lot of weight, get more mobile, then get stronger, then put on muscle. And then you figured out how to like lean out. Like it, you know, by the time I figured it out, I was like 22. Yeah. You know, so it's like, yeah, I got there eventually. But the kids like that who have that base at such a young age, those are the kids that like they have a chance to do really, really well because they're just going to get there so much faster. Yeah. Like as soon as you said skinny frame, that that just if you pack on a little muscle, the first two that came to mind were Tino and Bogey. Oh, absolutely. Because their frame is, they just have like that college frame. You look yep. at them like, yeah, you just need to mature a little bit mentally and physically. And, but just implementing like the stuff that I've been doing with them, like both of them have gone down two tenths of a second on their 10 yard dash and their trap, well, Bogey's trap bar went up probably like a hundred pounds by now, just from starting to where he is. His broad jump went up 30 inches. Yeah. Like just see where he's at. And they, these are freshmen in high school. So that's what really excites me when I see people like that they're like yeah the potential is very high they just need to not talk to girls and focus on <laughs> focus on their athletic development stay in their lane stay in their lane but um no I'm I'm excited for Max because I've never really seen an 11 year old because his maturity level is pretty high like, oh yeah well that's why I have him in the group with uh with Mason and Mackenzie and they're 13 and 14 and he's 11 so and he like, hangs and but, he hangs right oh, he there hangs, with them. He's right there with them. And the thing is, is like he's also had me for longer. Like Mason and Mackenzie, I started training them when they were like uh probably like eight to ten months ago. Mm-hmm. But then Max I've had for like since I started, like a year and a half. So he's gotten like he's had double the amount of training essentially. So like he's right there with them, but he's also like two to three years younger. Yeah. Which is Again, just exciting is probably the only word that I can use because one of the it, it's a slow cooking process. Yeah, I asked it. Yeah, the brisket. <laughs> I asked his parents too, like, because I'm like really ex- I'm pumped for him. Um, but I like asked his parents, like, what like what does he eat? And they're like, oh, he eats plenty of the, like plenty of protein. They're like all the expensive stuff. Like, all right, good, <laughs> good, good. He's on the right track. Yeah, but 
Yeah, it goes back to like I was talking about that softball girl that did gymnastics. Like after a while, you just hear like, all right, the same, the same, the same, the same, and then one day, you, you're, I think you might have that eye-opening moment, like when he just gets it one day, and you're gonna see it, and you're yeah. gonna be like, holy shit! I was like, like where did this come from? Yeah, well, that was like even with Mason yesterday. Like Mason PR'd in his ten yard and his uh, his vert, and they were like pretty small PRs, but then like. When you look at it from like where he started, it's like a five inch vert PR and a what like a tenth of a second or eighth an eighth of a second off of the uh, not an eighth but yeah what is it like hundred hundred eighth, eighth. Yeah. yeah whatever <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> too complicated too <laughs> numbers numbers, numbers. <laughs> yeah point zero oh, eight. eight yeah yeah so uh, he like you know which is like really like really good progress but he hasn't had that like consistently every week but it's just been like super super small like two steps forward one step back and then yesterday he just had a really good day and I think part of it was because yesterday was Max's first day and I was like oh Max is 11 and he's probably gonna kick your butt today I said (laughs) that to him at the beginning and I think it pissed him off you know so but that's what's good for them they have that competition and stuff especially in the early years of you know speed and and strength training like because they're learning just like how to compete with each other, react to their moves and whatnot. And, you know, you could just tell that, all right, it's been like nine or 10 months since Mason started with me and he's just getting a lot more leaner, which obviously, which we could get into a little bit later, but like the nutrition piece and like leaning out and just getting stronger in general, obviously has a big part to play in the jumping and running ability. Yeah. That's, that's why I love the approach of like just the long-term athletic development of the kids that we have. And then where you, where they're at day one, and then where you want to see them in ten years from now. Yeah. Because I think a lot of coaches get into the PR right now, uh, max everything. Like we need to see where you're at. Like I just don't think that's an appropriate strategy for them, just because we really just we have time. Like yeah. we have a ton of time, and to really focus on like the moving patterns, the crawling, the climbing, the hanging, and just med balls and some technique work if they're mature enough to handle it and you do that for long enough and you just trust that process of doing it for a couple years by the time they get to high school they're gonna be way further ahead than really anyone else because right now like a lot of kids just aren't doing anything like they got ipads and video games and like they just play their sport but they're not really engaged into it now yeah it is it is sad to see this is what like a main reason why I love coaching so much, especially like youth kids in middle school is just to give them that outlet of just helping them be athletic. Cause a lot of them just aren't anymore. Yeah. You ever try to play spike ball with some of these kids? Like yeah. they just can't figure it out. I'm like, yeah. like guys, I can, like, I can take a year off of spike ball and come back and I'll be able to handle it like right away. I know, yeah. like, That's how like, I am with basketball, bro. I was like, dude, like I don't, I play basketball like twice a year and it's just like, I pick it up and I'm like, Better than I was last time. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? yeah, because well, I think with basketball, the reason like if I played pickup now, I think I'd be better. Like I didn't, I don't train at all for it, and a couple shots, one hundred percent gonna airball. It's part of the game. But I think if I just go into it now and play, I don't have anything like weighing on me, like stress wise. Like if I miss the shot, I'm gonna get cut. Like that type of mentality. Yeah. So when I play, like I'm loose and I'm free, and then. I just use my athleticism yeah. to like win pretty much. Yeah, you could be a little bit more risky and not care as much. Yeah, and then that's the same thing with spike ball. Like spike ball is like I don't care about it at all. 
Like it's not like any stress, but I think when kids get into a competition, especially when they like all they know in competition is high stress, high stress, high stress that they like tense up and like are scared to make a mistake. Like you watch me play yeah. spike ball, man. I'm, I'm diving on the ground. I'm doing like jump shots. Like I'm talking smack. I'm like dude, this game does not matter at all. Yeah. And I'm getting into it, but it's like, it's just a joke to me at this point. Cause it's just fun. So you want to talk to us about your new tattoo? Yeah, bro. Uh, next episode, episode, yeah, next episode, <laughs> episode nine, inked up, the inked up podcast. Dude, no, that's like uh, when Jordan comes on Saturday. We'll just talk about tattoos the whole time. Yeah, just, just, <laughs> I'll just be sitting here, first, not saying anything. Does Nevin have any tat? Yeah, he has yeah, tats. Yeah, yeah. yeah, dude, you gotta get one, man. Man, I'm waiting for the one. <laughs> Olympics and the, and the Eiffel Tower on the back. Oh, you went to the Olympics? <laughs> yeah, where was it? Paris. <laughs> <laughs> That's still so one dope. of my favorite jokes. It's such a funny joke. Um, where were we talking about? Um, we were talking about Mason. You were talking Max. about like, like the the frame, and then playing and, oh, and basketball. Yeah, and basketball <laughs> hoops, baby hoops. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like for me, right? So. I used to play pickup basketball probably weekly in high school, probably like every Saturday or like one day a week after school. And I would always be out there trying to like dunk, right? Yeah. Because I was like, I was like the only kid over six foot sometimes, depends on who I was with. Um, but like in my neighborhood, it was like the only kid over six foot and like they were always trying to get me to dunk. And I like look back at videos now and I just had like, it was literally just like, all like upper body extension <laughs> you could just see me just reaching yeah and then it's like i took like probably like a two year i probably didn't play basketball or touch basketball or try to dunk for like two years but after like that whole process of like doing more mobility and just doing barefoot plyos and like jumping like doing triple broad jump and like box jumps in between squats and getting stronger getting my squat up like crazy just go back to dunking like when i was like a junior in college and i could just like dunk so easily and then like I was um, training with one of the sprints jumps coaches like two weeks ago and he was teaching me how to just like attack the rim instead of like trying to go like around it Mm -hmm. and back. And then it was just like one session like that and just completely changed my dunk. But it's just like when you have that foundation and that physical capability, it makes like the sport 10 times easier because a lot of times when you don't have that, you're trying to do something that your body's just like not Not ready for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Paul J. for Brits actually just had a cool post about dunking. He's like, two best exercises for uh, dunking. First one was just like a random, like, pogo variation. And the second one was low rim dunking. <laughs> it's like, just lower. Oh, just dunking on like an eight foot. Yeah, loop. lower the rim and then dunk and then raise it up and then try to dunk again. And then keep trying that until you can. And then raise it up again. And then you just keep elevating it because he said your reach, you need to be able to get up to 10-6 in order to actually dunk a ball. Mm-hmm. So... He was like, yeah, just lower him dunks. And that's what I like. That's like one of the best jump trainings if you really want to learn how to dunk, which I wish I had. A, I broke my hoop. <laughs> we broke it. Me and Zach, we were dunking on it at like eight and a half. And we snapped the rim down. So never, never was able to get another hoop. But that is like one of my goals to be like a five nine white kid to actually dunk. I feel like yeah. that'd be kind of cool. I mean, cool. you could like for me, right? I mean, you practiced it a lot more than I have, but. Like, our standing vert is, like, both, like, 36. You have, like, what, like, half an inch on me? Yeah, 36 and a half. Yeah, I was, like, 36.1. But, like, my my approach vert 
is like 35. <laughs> like, I just always fly off the map, bro. I can't control it. I don't know how. I've tried it like four times yeah. in my defense. Like you, you spent like an entire summer training for it. But yeah. like the way you hit the mat and go just straight up 40 inches and then land perfectly straight down. And like you, you have that going for you. <laughs> so like you I got that. that skill. Yeah. It was funny too, is I thought that would help. But it didn't. It was like I was like, yeah, I got. Well, I mean, maybe it's because like you're because I, I didn't really extending. Because I didn't practice the skill. Yeah. So I needed extending. to practice the skill of dunking. It's like doing yeah. the dude freaking do the low rim dunks and then do like yeah, a where do yeah. a really high where am I gonna get a low rim? I don't know. I'll figure it out. But <laughs> do like a really high like layup and like just smack the backboard. Just keep yeah. reaching and reaching. You know, like yeah. practicing that movement and then eventually like that's how I warm up to dunk. Just take a couple more layups, smack the backboard. I mean, it's a lot easier for me now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're 6'4", bro. <laughs> like, like you're, you also got a longer wingspan, and you're taller, and we jump the same. So, like, yeah, you can't dunk. I'm getting there. Get taller, bro. I know. But uh, going into, like, that jumping and, like, actually doing the approach jump, it's funny because my vert was never good. So that's why we can kind of go into, like, training college kids, and you can see their progress a lot faster Yeah. because they have – Hopefully, usually, like the college kids have a much better background of strength and conditioning yeah. and just resistance training in general. So they already have that base layer of strength. But a lot of times they're underdeveloped in that speed and power mm-hmm. aspect because just how collegiate weight rooms are set up, like it's just not a huge priority to them. There are some really good programs like Elon and TCU. Like Those are really good programs that prioritize speed and power and then transition it into the weight room. But just like a normal college, like they're going to just be squatting and doing a ton of reps and yeah. hopefully and they're just like hoping that that carries over which it really doesn't but like that that summer where i hit 40 on the approach i pr'd consistently almost every week on the yeah. just jump i was like 36 5 then 37 then 38 and i hit 39 and i stalled out for a little bit and i hit like 39 9 like three times in a row i was like come on and then the next week i hit 40.1 or 40 point whatever and i was like and I, that, I think that just credits because like, really my strength numbers didn't go up. If anything, they went down. Yeah. It's just I filled up a bucket that was clearly empty. And I just did a lot more sprints and a lot more pogos and plyos and jumps that my progress just was extremely rapid. Yeah. And even with the Operation Athlete with from Workhorse, rep the shirt, but um, my sprint PRs were nuts. Like I went from a 101 20-yard fly-in to a .9 three like that's a huge jump and i think that's just because i dedicated the 10 weeks to just being an overall better athlete of sprinting and jumping and making that more of a priority instead of the weight room yeah because my powerlifting background helped a little bit in the sense of that i had that strength but i never was i never made that connection to try to apply it more to the speed and power aspect yeah which i think definitely would have helped me more in like high school and college because i was like doing all the wrong like i was doing all the right things just in a wrong format like i was doing everything that people talk about it's like the three best exercises like i would do them but i just the sets reps the fatigue management the volume like everything was just wrong it was what about the, like the order of operations like the order like the yeah like did you like the sop no i'm saying like <laughs> did you like do it in the right order as oh yeah like i always you didn't like jump after you lifted did you i i did some contrast training but literally because i saw saquon barkley do it like that was like my only thing i went off of espn posted saquon doing a trap bar to a box jump and i was like bet 
I did it. <laughs> I was like, that was like, that was like, I had no layout of a training program. It was just whatever I felt. I ha- I knew I had two upper body days. And I had two lower body days and I went into the gym, not a single thing planned out. I was like, today's I'm going to bench. I just felt like it. Yeah. And I would just do whatever I felt like. I would be there for two hours. And it was just, it was, wasn't a structured format at all. How heavy were you when you were doing the, um, your vert training last year when you hit 40? When I hit 40, I was probably pushing 200 so because I didn't really care about my diet. I, there's pictures of me jumping and lifting and like the videos that I had from last summer where I just looked doughy, like my stomach and yeah. my body fat was definitely higher. What do you think? If you trained it now, being like 15 pounds lighter, you think you would... Oh, my standing vert went up an inch and a half Like when we tested it. like My best jump before my 36.5 was a 35.1 or like a 35.3. So I went up an inch and some change on just my standing vert. I didn't really do my approach nearly as much as I did last summer, but like all my sprint times went down. My, My bench actually like stayed the same. Like usually when people say you lose weight, like you cut, like you lose a lot of weight, your, all your numbers go down. But I still, um, pin squatted 455 for two. Like I was still able to bench close to 300. I did 225 for 12 reps. Wow. Like I, I could still trap bar over 500. Like I, I know it's like, if, uh, I hate trap bar. It's <laughs> so easy. Bro. It's, it's <laughs> trap bar is a cheat code, but like all my strength numbers, like I say they go down, but they were already really high anyways. Yeah, that's that, what like, I was it, talking about the last episode. I was saying how like I spent like one year you could turn that off. I spent like one year just like getting each lift like really well not really high, but like relatively high. And then um now it's like I don't have to like try that hard to be strong. I could focus on other stuff now, mm-hmm. which is what I prefer doing, at least right now in this current phase of my life. If you had to go back what's one thing that you would change about like would you change your diet all last year or would you just like kind of learn from it and go forward just learn from it i i still made significant progress at a higher body fat percentage like i was definitely over 15 and i I am curious to see what my number like if i was like next summer i think i'm going to dedicate to because i love doing athlete stuff in the summer and i know i'm not going to be doing that right now but um dedicate to getting closer to 10 percent body fat at like, cause I want to bot, like I want to like actually competitive box. Yeah. And I know I'm probably too heavy for that right now. Just, I feel like I would just be a lot lighter on my feet if I was around like 170 to 175, that range. Yeah. So being that lean at a lower weight overall, it's like the lightest I've probably ever been. I, I would be curious to like go through those old programs, like the racehorse or the operation athlete and yeah. just see like what my numbers would look like. Yeah. That'd be sick. Yeah, I'm really interested. Like, that's how I'm going to train. Like, I mean, I'm kind of getting ready for throwing in the spring, so I'm not going to wait until next summer to do the athletic stuff. But I'm like, really, this is going to be like the first winter in probably like a couple of years that I like dedicated to like speed and agility and stuff yeah. like that. Just because like, I'm kind of, I'm past the, as of right now, at least, you know, anything can change, but like right now, Jordan and I are throwing a lot, and I'm kind of over just like chasing the weight room numbers and like being yeah. afraid of like them dropping and affecting my distance because I've like fully and confidently finally gone over the fact of like if I benched 250 going into the season next year, like it wouldn't matter as much as like if I just 
like got better at throwing. Yeah. I mean, so I'm just like focused on that now. All right. So, you know, obviously we talked about nutrition playing a role. You lost like 15 pounds, didn't really train for your vert and you still added like an inch and a half onto your standing vert this year. Um, so talk to us a little bit about like the role that strength plays into like jumping and, um, speed, but also like, you know, kind of like getting away from that, like maximal strength output is the only thing that matters and talking a little bit more about like how the central nervous system is related into the equation. Yeah. So you need to have some layer of strength in order just to overcome gravity because gravity is going to be pulling you back down to the earth at 9.82 meters per second squared. It's just simple physics. If you're not strong, either elastically or muscularly, you're not going to be able to get up at all. Like when people are stronger that aren't as elastic, they can still muscle their way up there. That's why there's like the power dunkers or the, the power dunkers being like Zion Williamson and Shaquille O'Neal. Like you don't tell where tell is, I would classify him as a power dunker, but, um, like those guys that like have just that stocky bulky frame that they rely a lot on their, their overall strength. They're also like, there's freaks, like they're strong, but they can still get up versus the Zach Levine's and the John Morant's yeah. and like those type of people that like, I know, like I always made that joke. It's like, I 100% squat like double whatever Zach Levine can. Oh yeah. Well, but Zach Levine can, Kevin Durant couldn't bench 185 at yeah. the NBA combine. His arms are also like seven feet long. But he's, he's, still, but yeah. still a low, low bench press. Yes. Extremely low, but he couldn't really, he, those basketball is a whole different beast because those guys are just so elastic and just springy, like with their ankles and their calves and like Jordan too. Like the only reason why he started lifting was to deal with like the bad boy Pistons era mm. and to have a little bit more muscle up top. So when he got bumped in the lane that he wouldn't be flailing all over the place. He can actually hold on to that contact and finish at the rim. That's yeah. why he was such a good finisher. And I don't know if you ever read winning by Tim Grover, but the only reason they would do biceps all the time, like all the time. And the only reason why, like, like Tim Grover's like, I know biceps don't help your shot. If anything, they might hurt it. But the intimidation factor that you have when you take your warm-up jacket off and your jersey there and you're freaking ripped. Like everything at that level is just a mental, especially in that era right now. Now in this time, I don't think that even exists anymore. Like like the mental thing is everyone's friends with each other in the league. <laughs> Dude, like, it is crazy, bro, because everyone hops around from team to team. Yeah, and they like, all play on Team USA together and they all play yeah. on like the all-star team yeah, together. Like everyone's, everyone's friendly now, so it, it's not nearly the same as it was back when Jordan played and like even Kobe like but that for them was just a mental like advantage that when they took their warm-up jacket off their arms are just jacked yeah so when you see when you're the opponent seeing that and the way Jordan like just conveyed himself and carried himself and you see him coming back after an offseason looking like that you're like Oof, like I'm in for a long night like this is gonna be a tough night like that's the only reason why like that was enough reason for tim grover to be like all right we're gonna do sets of bicep curls this workout like yeah that was it so a lot of it is mental and someone actually commented that on one of my posts it was like psychological is greater than physiological because mm. like if you can win the mental battle especially in a competitive advantage like that's like that's gonna be step one like that's gonna pretty much be checkmate right at the start like tyson always talked about that like he would never break eye contact with his opponent like when they're doing the face-off and the guys doing the announcements and talking, like he would stare at them and their eyes not blink for as long as it would be. And if 
the guy averted his eyes once or like moved or like looked down, Tyson's like, I won. He's like, I already know I won. He's like, I found a chink in his armor and I'm gonna exploit that. And Tyson's also a freak. He's biting people's ears off. Like again, these high performer athletes are nuts. But it goes. Yeah, dude, I remember we talked about like, what, I forgot what I was doing last year, but I like make up those like competitions in my yeah. mind about like other coaches or like whatever. And you're just like, dude, relax. I made the post too though, like um, a while ago. It was like the ability to make up the fake rival- the rivalries in your head will take you further than like any like supplement like you can get. Like yeah. even Goggins when he was doing his pull up record talked about that. Like the guy that had the record before him, never met him. Like, had no idea who he was. He just knew his name. And as he's doing it, he's, like, calling that dude out. And he's, like, calling him soft. And, like, like I'm a, I'm coming for you. Like, no idea who this guy is. This guy's just a random dude, probably just 80 now at this point. Just chilling at home. And Goggins, in his mind, though, was, like, that was a challenger to him. And it was just, like, a completely different mental switch. Yeah. And growing up, like, watching all those people and being, like, like the super motivational high performers, like, you got to realize no one's like that like there's a very 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 select few people that are like that so i learned not the hard way but i just know like coaching people now like i can't bring that intensity <laughs> to these people because they're gonna be looking at you like who are you <laughs> like, yeah it is hard to have people resonate with that like on a daily basis like you got to be like different you know and there's a time to like turn it off and turn it on but i'm kind of realizing too that like the reason that i was so passionate about athletics and coaching is not the same reason that everyone else is doing it you know and it's like you know i have to like you have to know your client and stuff it's like a lot of like especially too like the kids at upward they're just there they want to have fun like they get fired up when it matters but like i just remember like i've kind of chilled out now a little bit but it depends like what kind of phase i'm in yeah like i just was always pissed off when i was working out every single practice i was pissed off like i woke up i walked in there chip on my shoulder like hoodie on like whole teams kind of like hanging out like roll foam rolling like all that stuff before practice chit chatting on their phones i was like locked in no caffeine nothing like didn't use any of that stuff in college and i was just like i was just different that way you know yeah and it was just like I wasn't there to hang out. I wasn't there to, like, make friends. I remember, too, like, this other kid on my team, like, pissed me off one time because we were in COVID, and he said, like, the biggest thing I miss about track practice, because we were in, like, a a pause where we didn't have practice, he's like, the biggest thing I miss about track practice is uh, the social aspect and just seeing everybody and hanging out for two to three hours a day. I'm like, what? (laughs) I was like, bro, that's what you miss about practice, bro? (laughs) I miss freaking being able to power clean because yeah. the weight room that I was going to during COVID like didn't, didn't have bumper it. plates. Yeah. Bumpers, yeah, I was like, bro, that's what I miss. Like, I miss the competition aspect of like, you know, I was training with Nevin, who was a freshman that time. At that time, like, he didn't like really push me that much. I was obviously showing him the ropes and stuff, but like, I missed being around the shot putters and trying to keep up with them. Yeah. You know? I used to be, I used to be like that in high school and college, especially high school training with Sansone all the time. Like that, like there would be times where we would be screaming at each other, like just the most vile trash talk you could possibly think of but we would do it for like the full workout. And that was like all we knew it. But now I I brought it to my coaching style because I just think I cared too much. And that's what kind of inevitably led me to like just being burnt from the sport and like, not really having that love for it 
And with the kids, like even then back at the old place, they would call me Coach Goofy because I would just make them do like stupid stuff, like fun stuff that get them laughing, especially in the warm up. But that's how I approach it too. Joel Smith had a cool post that he was talking about, like like you would do better if you just didn't care as much. Like, Is that the dude that just just does fly all the weird? Oh, that's Joel just, Smith. Who's yeah. the Who's the weird dude that Weck? No, Joel something that. Oh, Seedman, Seedman, Joel Seedman. Yeah, Joel Seedman. Weird. I don't be listening. I don't be listening to anything. I was he like, I'm surprised you're talking about that. No, no, I don't be listening to anything he said. I don't follow him. I don't know anything he does. I don't. I don't want to know. But no, but like he, like that was a cool thing that kind of like reaffirmed like my thought process behind it. it. Was like I used to be like that, like more hardcore. Like, like you're in the weight room. Like it needs to be serious. Like you can't be having fun. Like. Like, this is, like, you need to be able to lock in and focus. But then I was like, ah, that's just not the way to go. I was like, these kids, like, aren't smiling. It looks like a chore to them. And it's not going to last long term. So when we talk about long term athletic yeah. development, like, yeah. if you don't have fun with it, it's just you're not going to stick with it for a long enough time and be yeah. consistent with it. You need to let the kids, like, get there on their own, you know? Yeah. Um, But... Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things, it's tough to just, like, force it onto a kid, yeah. and I think that's where a lot of the burnout comes from. Yeah, and then they're all, like, if they're playing sports in high school and stuff, like, all their coaches are telling them the same motivational stuff, and like, motivational in quotations, but, like, it's all the same stuff that they all hear from the same coaches that has been reused and rephrased, like, all the time, so when they come see me, it's actually funny, because, uh, like, a couple of the girls are like, you're the most unique coach like i've ever had yeah. well that's like, what they ever. say it's better to be different than it's better to than it is better to be better yeah right? but we're probably different and better <laughs> <laughs> we're unique and better so it works out yeah. but like my like my uniqueness just comes from just having fun and then for them that's just completely different to them yeah like really it's not i don't think of myself as i, I know it's unique but it shouldn't be yeah. like it shouldn't be like a military style training session like all the time like yeah there's gonna be parts where like we're gonna push you and you're gonna be working hard but if you're not like blasting a big booty mix and laughing with people and getting after it in that environment and cheering each other on like what are you doing it's like it's just not like for me that's not what it's about like it, it's way more yeah. about like like what you're like what the track guy says like the community and like it's not social hour but it's yeah, like yeah. being in that community sense of having fun and if someone fails and falls, like when Chuck slipped on the jump on the jump mat during the summer, we were testing the approaches. Everyone started crying, laughing. Like that was hilarious. And then five minutes later, Wyatt put his hand through the wall, oh and we lost it. Like that was the funniest session of the summer because it yeah. was just so goofy. It was just like like we got everything done that was programmed that needed to get done, but it was just one of the funniest workouts. Like I've ever coached, and I was like, "What?" I literally look at you guys like, "What is going on?" I was like, "What? Like, what are yeah. we? Like, what happened today?" Yeah, but like, the energy, but the energy was sky high, and which also led to like better performance on the squat that they did that day, and the accessories, and they're holding the isometrics longer. Oh, yeah. Like everything, like it helped. It helped with all of it, and I didn't have to explain anything to them about why it worked. It just worked, and they don't care like if I explained it to them or not, or like I know why it worked, but they don't care. They just know it worked. So we're going to yeah. keep doing it. And that's why they kept coming back. We're like, that's what I loved about it. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any final thoughts you want to add or anything? No. You just wrap it up. All right, we're... All right. Thanks for tuning in. Episode 8 of the Mass Monsters podcast. Hope you learned a little bit about long-term athletic development. 
and sprinting and jumping. Yeah. See you guys next episode. Peace.